moving your career further faster. That's the mission behind Cascading Leadership. Each week, we're bringing you stories of women, immigrants, members of the global majority who have risen to the ranks of senior leadership in the world of business. Get ready to gather the insights of some of the world's best business leaders and apply those to your career. If you're interested in sales and marketing effectiveness, organizational effectiveness, talent strategy, DEI, or HR tech, tune in. We're going to share with you what they don't teach you in business school. Welcome to the show. Welcome to today's episode of Cascading Leadership. I am your friendly neighborhood talent strategy nerd, Dr. Jim. And today we are in for a fantastic episode as part of our Women in Tech Leadership series. And in this conversation, we're going to answer some very important questions. We're going to learn how purpose-driven living is the key to long-term success. We're going to learn why ignoring limits is the key to successful career navigation. And we're going to learn what role reinvention plays in life and career. So the purpose of our show is to help everyone move their careers further faster. And the person that's going to help us answer these questions through her story and her experiences is joining us today. Sonia, welcome to the show. Well, hey there, I am Dr. Jim. <laughs> I haven't called you that before, but I guess I'll start calling you that. <laughs> no, it's Dr. Jim is only used in the beginning of the show and on my signature panel and on LinkedIn. <laughs> I don't really expect anybody to call me that. So I'm super excited to have you on the show. It's great to have you on. You and I go a little bit back. We met at a conference and then you're doing some really cool things and you've had a really interesting career. So welcome aboard. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to chat and then hopefully your listeners will also benefit from it in, in some way. A good way for us to kick it off is have you tell us a little bit about the work that you're doing now and a little bit about how you're involved in the tech space and in the startup space and get us familiar with that before we dive into the, the bulk of the conversation. I feel truly blessed, right, for a career that has offered me so many exciting opportunities. Starting as a junior NASA engineer to executive roles with thousands of employees and all the way to public company boardrooms and then Full circle back to where I am today, working with a very small and talented team at a tech startup. Our company is our office, and this is where we, we help organizations of any size build inclusive workplaces for all individuals to belong and for companies to see more productivity. I think you're selling a little bit of your backstory short, but that's the whole reason why we have this time to have the conversation. One of the things that caught my interest or attention about what you had mentioned in your intro was you're doing this really important work for uh, at our office as the founder and CEO of the organization. That company is doing really solid work from a DEI analytics perspective. And there's also a lot of solutioning in terms of advancing DEI within organizations. How did that get shaped by your experiences as a developer and also a senior female leader in Fortune 500 companies? I think that everything I've done in my career has prepared me for this role, frankly. It is the most fun and the hardest role. And I'll explain as we go through the conversation. I'm an immigrant child, American born, but first generation. And so from the very, very young childhood, for some reason, I wanted to be an astronaut. So that's why I joined NASA and I spent the first decade or so of my life there. And when you talk about what we're doing today, I think one of the things that was really important to me at NASA, and frankly, sometimes you just have to look back and put 
the pieces together or connect the dots through your career. And as I look back, what that had in common with everything else I've done is that we talked, you just mentioned that people are going to hear about being purposeful. I was always very purposeful. I wanted really to contribute in a meaningful way, which I think for a lot of people today is is really, especially the millennials and Gen Zers, they talk about that all the time. And I joined NASA when it was my lowest offer out of school. I had much better offers, but I really wanted to explore space to better understand ourselves and our planet. I thought that that would really give insights and would make us progress as a human race. As I progressed from NASA to becoming an executive in aerospace and defense, again, as I look back, it had to do with this main mission was to protect our security, freedom, and the way of life with working with the Department of Defense and the three-letter agencies in, in national security for many years. And then you come to now my role now, Again, it has a purpose. The mission is simply for all of us to belong and feel productive for a large portion of our lives that's spent in the workplace. So I think that if I connect the dots, as you ask, how is my role here informed by all of my background, is that there was a deep sense of mission in all of them. And it was always focused on the end user. So when I was at NASA, we were building the shuttle, the space station, all that. We were focused on the astronauts, you know, helping them survive in space, helping them do what they needed to do in space and get them back safely. When I was working in aerospace and defense, it was the warfighter. It's all of our brave men and women out there. And now we are focused on the employees and the leaders, both of them. So we haven't lost this really, I think what's very important in any business is to be focused on your end users, the people. What is their problem? How can you help them feel safe? And this actually is interestingly very similar to what I did at NASA. How do you make people feel safe in a different way, not from the hazards of space and lack of gravity and vacuum and so on, but from the hazards of the workplace, not being seen, not feeling like you belong, not being included, not having equity and not getting those opportunities that, that you need to prosper. There's a lot of stuff in what you said that's really interesting, but I want to pull on two separate threads. One of the things that I, I, and correct me if I'm misunderstanding, but one of the things that I took away from what you just described, you're in NASA, you're in the Department of Defense, and you're in corporate boardrooms as a senior leader. The thing that I'm curious about is, and if I'm off base here, let me know, but those are heavily male-dominated spaces. From my perspective, you're probably dealing with a lot of engineers and IT folks and, and, and highly technical folks, which historically tended to be male-dominated. And then when you're talking about the executive boardroom, the Fortune 500 CEOs, <laughs> there's like a record that was set recently, and there's 43 women as CEOs of Fortune 500 companies. So you're definitely in a minority of minorities within those domains that you're in. How did you navigate that situation or those situations where you're a unicorn in those spaces? That's a very good observation. Also, it's interesting that it's not the first thing that jumps to my mind, <laughs> but it is true that the common theme is that everywhere I was, whether I was a junior engineer to when I was in the C-suite and then when I was in the boardroom, and now that I'm actually a startup CEO, women startup CEOs that are funded 
That's actually a smaller percentage than even CEOs of Fortune 500. The ones that get funded, that's like less than 2% in, in startup world. So I've always been the first and then, or one of very few later on as I joined the C-suite or the board. And I will, first of all, I want to say and recognize that because of that fact that I was the only woman, I mean, by definition, right? I don't have to tell you this. You can almost just, just surmise from what I just said, right? that the help I got, all the help I got was from men. It was from, and primarily from white males because they were the ones in power. So I have so many, I'm blessed with so many mentors and coach and people just along the way just took interest. And I think it really relates maybe to the second aspect of maybe what's been really going through my career is that I always ignored limits. I was like very, it was not very important to me. When I first said I wanted to be an astronaut, this was way before Sally Ride or any woman ever ended up in space. And so my parents in the 1970s, early 70s or and so on, they were like looking at me like, what are you talking about? There hasn't even been any woman in space. You want to be an astronaut now? Like it's a male thing. And it's like a, the malest thing you'd ever want to do. Same thing about being in a seasuit when I went to, to GD, building combat vehicles. I was the first woman ever in the 50-year history of that division to have ever been in that kind of a role. To me, it was, I guess, the way I navigated that. And I'm not saying that this is the way, because certainly the responsibility is both on the organization and on the individual. But as an individual, I just didn't see that as a limit. And I remember one time, a colleague of mine said to me, it was a someone I was actually competing with, semi-competing with. We were both young and kind of coming up through the ranks and we were seen as rising stars. So it's a little bit of a story if you give me a minute here. We we were invited to a executive to an executive offsite. One of these events that they take you to a really nice hotel, you stay there two or three days, and it's reserved for executives, senior executives, vice president and above. We were not vice presidents at that time. And so we were both invited to this. And there was a group of people, maybe there was 10 of us up there. This was a large Fortune 500 company. And there was like a couple of hundred executives there. So as we were standing there, he leaned over to me and he said, Sonia, you have an advantage over me, right? And I said, what's that? And he said, you're a woman. Everybody's going to remember you and your name, but there's eight or nine of us guys here. And I bet you they won't remember me. So I think I always thought about it if it occurred to me and it didn't occur to me that often, but I thought about it that way. And also I always felt like I could tell people, another boss of mine once told me, he said, Sonia, you can tell people really tough stuff, but somehow you can you can make it like softer and they can actually be okay with it. And it's, if I said something like that, people might get really upset. It's, whoever you are, whatever your background is, just turns out I was a woman. I had a natural way of, I had lived everywhere on three continents. So I had a way of relating to people. So I used those to my advantage where I could, and I asked for what I needed. I have always asked for what I needed. When you look at that entire arc that you just talked about, you really, you never really saw yourself as you said it yourself. It's not the first thing that I thought about when I'm thinking back on my career. So what's the lesson there that could help somebody else advance in a similar way or even faster? I'm going to get philosophical on you for a minute, if that's okay. There is a book I would recommend to people. There's many books like this. This just happens to be one of my favorite ones. It's called The Divine Matrix. It's by Greg Braden as a contemporary philosopher, mystic, if you will. And the central idea is that there is a web of energy that connects us all and gives us, each one of us, 
the power within us to create anything that we want from joy to to healing and career success. This has really informed me way before I read this book, which was recent last few years. I always had this perspective. I always naturally loved the challenge and fundamentally and deeply believe that I believe to this day, as evidenced by most of my career, that I could either solve the challenge or I could learn from any challenge. And this, for example, when I was at GD, we were in the middle of two wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. That's why I went there. I went really for my patriotism and so on. They appealed to me. They said, look, you're building stuff into space. You're launching them in a fraction of the time that is taken before. We need somebody to come and help us update our combat vehicles because a lot of them were getting, frankly, we had a lot of killed in action, wounded in action because the vehicles that could go into that terrain could have to be wheeled vehicles. They couldn't be the big like you hear a lot about Abrams tanks and we're giving them to the, to Ukraine. We couldn't take those into Afghanistan. We had to take things like striker vehicle. This is all open right. information. People is out there. And so long story short, the plan and the way that worked was every, uh, when you want to upgrade a combat vehicle, it usually takes, there's a something called an army R4 gen. It takes four years and it's because you have to modify, design, build, test, and then train, of course, the, just the soldiers to, to use it. And we did, and they said, oh, if you shave off like 20, 30% off of that, that would be awesome because now we can, of course, fill them sooner and we would really save lives. We did that in 15 months flat. We did it because, A, because I didn't know that much about combat vehicles back then. <laughs> I'd only been buildings and spaceship. And I would question everything when people would tell me that something couldn't be done that fast or that par- parallel or anything. I just didn't accept it. So it's, again, this idea of being limitless. I knew that we're doing this for the right reasons. And I just wouldn't take no for answer. And I really challenged and asked questions about why we couldn't do things. That, I think there is, so there's two aspects of that. There's an individual aspect that where you have to overcome your own fears and ask for the things you need. Don't assume you're going to, that people know about it. Don't assume that they're going to say no to it. Just ask. I mean, the only way you can know is to ask. And then there's an organizational side of that. If you're a leader, because I think a lot of people that are now in this, I always promised myself when I needed things as I was growing in my career, that once I got to a position of power, I would be mindful of those things. And so it's very important also as leaders to look back and say, or even as colleagues and say, can I, do I have an experience that can help someone else? This is, again, goes to this idea of this web of energy that connects us all and feeling it's really the powers within all of us to help ourselves and help others around us. It does answer the question, and I'm taking it from this perspective. So when you're talking about the web of energy, to me, that rings in the way that mindsets ring through. Like you can decide how you want to interpret the information around you and your brain, and this is backed up by research, doesn't know what's real or what isn't. So your mind, your mindset determines a lot of your outcomes. So you can choose how you respond to the things that are around you. And that's going to shape the things that, that, that happen. I want to be very clear that while I believe in that hundred percent, I do believe it may seem as though it has its limits, right? Because there are certain things that you can do. And there's certain things that if you're part of an organization, they have decide they have to decide to change a policy or they have to allow certain things. And so I'm sure a lot of people who are listening to this will think, yeah, but at a certain point, right? I can't create a higher salary for myself. I can't create a vacation when I need to go take care of something with my kid. I can't just think that in my own head. And the answer is yes, but if you think of it as a connected web, 
Then it goes to the organizational side of it. Don't think of yourself as separate and adversarial to your organization. Organizations are just made of people too. And so you can think of this extending to the other people that are, have these other roles that have leadership roles or roles towards you and extend it to that and go ask them. And if worst comes to worst and they just won't change it, then go somewhere else. The world is a big place. And if you don't think of yourself as alone, if you overcome your fears and you think of yourself as being limitless and you ignore your limits, then obviously with thought of foresight, I'm not asking anybody to just quit their jobs tomorrow and go read Greg's book and say, Sonia told me to go do this. You have to plan it. Everything is in planning. But if you have that mindset, to your point exactly, if you have your mindset, you'll be very surprised how things happen. I had, it wasn't all wonderful in my career. At one point, I will share that I had, I think all women have at some point been, have experiences that are less than pleasant. Sometimes it's bordered sexual harassment. In my case, it did. And just as I was thinking the next day, I was thinking, I got to leave this job. I just can't be in this role where I'm subjected to this and some unwanted like behavior around me. Just as I was, I just, I I kid you not, as I was thinking that I got a call from another part of that organization offering me if I wanted to go and join another team. (laughs) I had to, literally it was within less than 48 hours. Again, I'm not saying that can happen for everyone, but I think the mindset has a lot to do with it. There's an aspect of what you said that that incorporates concepts of curiosity. If if you're looking at the situation as it is, you have to ask why does this exist, and you have to take agency in seeing if you can shift the way it is or pivot to to another direction. But that that the other point of what you just said that that hit me is that at some level you're the CEO of your own career path. So if yes. you're not making if you're not making the progress that you need to make. You need to be intentional about taking the necessary shifts and actions to go ahead and and make what you want real. You mentioned this several times when you were talking about your career trajectory, and it's this idea of purpose and mission and how you joined organizations because of the big things that they were trying to do. And what I'm wondering is, why did you specifically call out purpose and mission as the reasons behind why you joined organizations? So I'll give you a simple answer and it makes you happy. It's proven. They asked, I think it was Colin Powell. And then they asked someone very different. They asked a monk why they were, what was the secret to happiness? And they both said a life of purpose, a life of service. And I won't pretend that when I joined NASA, I knew this. I didn't. I was just uh, naturally was just very much drawn to exploration, to something bigger than myself always. And I think that it just depends on our experiences. I had the kind of experiences at the time, I didn't think it was lucky, but now in hindsight, I think it's very lucky that I lived on three continents as I was growing up. And so it gave me a very expansive view of the world from very early days. I think that if you are lucky enough to be born and grow up in the same town, most of your life, it gives you a different level of confidence and safety and being there, but you may not have as expansive a view and you may then because no matter what our backgrounds are, there's some positives and there's some limiting factors to it. And I think the biggest thing is to just always see, look at the other side of it, listening to podcasts like this, especially these days, it's so easy to listen and learn and get other perspectives. Here's, I have to suggest another book. I'm all about these, but I don't think it's important, especially now that 
there's Audible. I listen mostly to these books, but I think some people like to read them. Some of the books, sometimes I order and read them again also in, in print. But there is a there is someone, I, you probably know Michael Schur, who was the creator of The Good Place, one of my all-time favorite shows, but also the writer of, uh, the author of the book, How to Be Perfect. And so sometimes people ask, what does it mean to have purpose? And how do I find my purpose? This book explores mostly moral dilemmas and explains the different philosophical concepts that have been put forward throughout the ages to deal with them. Kantism, existentialism, all these kind of different kind of philosophies. And the benefit it brings, again, I always like to give people, my, my bias is towards action always, right? So I'm like, what action can they take? Reading books like this, it makes you just think of stuff beyond yourself. And then you think, so what kind of a person do I really want to be? And ultimately, what's my purpose in life? So I think making the world a better place in whatever way. And this doesn't mean having lofty ideas, right? I think of the, the frontline people, the service people that very, they get paid very little. They work very hard. They're making the world a better place. I think if you see yourself, it's like this very famous story about NASA. John F. Kennedy went to NASA and asked in the early days of NASA when it was first formed and asked and saw a janitor in the hallway. And he said, he didn't know what he did. It turns out the man was just walking the hallway and he said, what do you do here at NASA? And he said, sir, I'm sending man to the moon. He didn't say I'm a janitor. So again, I think there is, it's the mindset. It comes back. I love what you mentioned about the mindset. Your purpose doesn't have to be I'm going to solve world hunger, but I'm going to change, bring world peace. It can be a, a different purpose, but one that's meaningful to you and makes you feel that at the end of the day, of a hard day of work, we all have hard days of work these days. The world of work is upended. We all have challenges. It makes you just feel differently about. There's a really good connection there. I think if you're always mired at the task level of your job, you're never connecting it to the why or the purpose of the organization that you're in. So you have to not only, at least in my mind, you not only have to connect the organizational why, but you have to actually build your why and how that relates to the job that you do and how you advance things forward. So that's a really good call out that uh, that you had there. There is one thing that I'm really wondering about, especially with the book that you mentioned. I haven't read it, but <laughs> the I'm like 15 books deep in terms of my reading list. So I got I got a ways to go. Wow, that's my continuing challenge. 100%. Yeah, ner the nerds are talking here. The thing that I'm wondering is the title of that book really doesn't work for me. And here's where I'm coming from. Because if it's how to be perfect, my position is, and I haven't read it, so you're going to have to tie this together. But that seems like a completely unrealistic ideal yeah. and a type of ideal or pursuit that's going to make people just miserable in life. What am I missing in the title that's actually discussed in the book that is actionable? So this is a spoiler alert. If you don't mind knowing the end of the book or the bottom line of it, then I can share it. But for those who are listening, if they want to not hear the end of the book, they can mute it and then come back <laughs> later on, right? They yeah, can read fa the book. Fast forward about 30 <laughs> seconds and then 30. we should be good. So actually the bottom line of it, and as is in The Good Place, which I really love the show as well, is the same, is that you can't be perfect. But what you can do is and what the book tries to help you do, and as well as the show, is that it presents the dilemmas that you may find yourself in and helps you think through them ahead of time. And it helps you see that all of these philosophies, all these philosophers, Kantism, all the people that put these things forward, 
they thought that was the answer, but they all fail at some in some situation. So therefore, you there's really no one magic wand. There's no way to be perfect. All you can try and be a better person. And to be a better person, it's important to be thoughtful. And so what it helps you do that both the show and the book do is that they help you exercise those muscles, right? And think through these, what would I do? Now your answer may be very different from Kant or anybody else, but, but at least you've thought through it. And at least you have an awareness. It's really about being perfect is not the end goal. The end goal is to be aware and to be a learning. It's like what you said, this curiosity, right? The challenge, I'll give you an example. I went for the holidays, I went to Patagonia and it was a very far away place. And I was, it was a hiking trip. So I was actually buying equipment for it about three months in advance, right? So I was buying all these things. I actually had to buy a larger luggage, like a 28 inch to take all this gear with me because it was a hiking trip. We're going to hike every day in these very remote areas where I imagine they had nothing. So I had to take everything from the- This is your idea of a vacation? That sounds, yes, like work. Yes. That, that, is, that sounds like work to me. Oh, no, it was fabulous, by the way. I recommend it to everyone. And I, But I was the clicker. And the reason why it was so good is because I was off the grid for two full weeks. That sounds terrible. I can't- You get would behind. go nuts. I can't, I cannot endorse that as a destination or goal. <laughs> we can agree to disagree on this one, but I will tell you, I stand before you as a rejuvenated example of how, why it's so good. But I tell you, it's certainly not for everyone. But when I got there, my, my most horrible nightmare happened, which hasn't happened I, as much as I travel, hasn't happened to me like at all ever like this or in a long time, even having a little bit of a delay. My luggage was not there when I got there. And in fact, it did not arrive <laughs> to where I was going because I was going to Patagonia and we were going to different areas. And so the luggage, once they found it and they forwarded it, it had to follow me. And finally, somebody had to go and drive 200 kilometers to go get it. And yet that first night when it had happened, and first I didn't tell anybody, I tried to figure it out, but then I didn't have, I had nothing. I didn't have adapter for my two phones that I had taken with me. They were all in my luggage. So finally, I called my son and I said, you got to, when I go to sleep here, you're going to have to pursue this with this unnamed airline to see where it is and see if they can forward it to me because tomorrow morning I'm flying out of Buenos Aires and I'm going to this remote place and I don't even know if they, what kind of connection I'll have down there. So when I told him, he was horrified and he was so worried. And he's like, mom, are you okay? I'm like, well, yeah. You, you, okay. you know why, why he's worried? You're describing the start of every horror movie in the history of <laughs> horror movies. No. So he's, in fact, he was so concerned. He said, mom, you okay? And I'm like, yeah, honey. And I said, no, I'm just, I'm, I have half an hour to go buy a dress because tonight I had this tango show scheduled that I have to go see before I fly to Patagonia tomorrow. And he's like, you sound too calm and happy to this is not normal, right? You shouldn't be very upset right now. And I said to him, I said, you know what, honey? I am lucky to be on this earth, to have traveled all these thousands of miles, 15, 16 hours of flight, to be in this beautiful place. I'm going to experience it to the fullest. And I bet you this is a learning experience. I'll see what comes out of it. What is there for me to learn? And what there was for me to learn? What's what was there? The thing that was there for me to learn, which is a big lesson, and I usually am this way, but for this trip, I was not definitely is to be more minimalistic that I didn't need as much as I thought I needed. The first five days of the hike trip, I had to, I had one hour, only one hour in a major city we landed into in Patagonia, the town of Pate, to go and gather whatever 
gear I could in the span of an hour. And I told my son, I said, I have a credit card. And they tell me there is a couple of stores down there. And I'm going to go there and I'm going to buy as many things as I need. And it turns out I bought two t-shirts. I bought one thermal and I bought one pair of hiking boots. That was my size. And, and frankly, three pairs of socks. And with that, I lived for five days of hiking every day, eight, eight hours or seven, eight hours. I went to dinners. I- You're not selling me on this trip, but I'm glad that <laughs> I'm glad it worked out. But uh, be- between being off grid and not having any stuff and being minimalist, that's three strikes. I'm out. I am not doing that sort of trip ever. It was really, I tell you that the trip ended up fabulous and Because my luggage was lost, I got to know so many people so fast. I would have never gotten to know people of Argentina. I was on WhatsApp with everybody. I, of course, procured somehow. I couldn't even buy an adapter, but one of the hotels lent me one and let me keep it for the duration. And it really, I went back after when my luggage actually showed up on the, after five days, I looked at it and it was put in the middle of my hotel room. And I looked at it and I was like, what do I do with this? There's so much stuff in here. Right. Again, it just goes to how much we can do with how little. That's all my point. I'm joking and messing with you while we're talking, (laughs) but there's a theme that I've noticed in our conversation that I'm curious to get more detail on. So one of the things that's really interesting about this entire conversation that we're having, Sonia, as I listen to it, is that you've been able to navigate all of these different changes and you have an adventurous component of your personality that kind of shows up in a lot of different ways. You've been trailblazing in many different definitions of that word throughout your career. But the thing that I'm wondering is what influence did being the child of immigrants play in building that sense of sense of adventure and also the ability to stay calm when you have all of these drastic pivot opportunities that are taking place. That's that's very insightful on your part, Jim, as you always are. Thank you for noticing that. And you're absolutely 100%. I think that whether you're a child of an immigrant or you grow up in a difficult circumstances, otherwise a family, abusive family, sometimes people grow up in all kinds of unfortunate situations. And as you go through those challenges, I think you build certain muscles A, that really serve you later in life, but B, you realize that you can live through them and that you are okay at the end. And that gives you, it is along with feeling like you're limitless. I think this idea that, you know, you can challenge yourself, you can take on things that this idea of reinventing, all of that becomes a lot more attractive to you because you know that you've lived through real challenges. I was an immigrant child. I very college, putting myself through college was quite difficult. I went to a very selective and very expensive school. And I actually had to take on so much student debt. They didn't award me my degree. They didn't give me the physical degree until years later after I had paid off some loans directly to the school. And and, you know, it was, they let me have my grades so I could get a job. And I was responsible at certain times for an extended family. So those things very early in my life, really, when I was barely an adult and a little bit older, and certainly my early 20s, they not only helped me build those muscles, but again, just 
learned that if I could live through those things, I could live through anything. <laughs> so you fast forward, I tell you, when we worked with the, with the Russians on the building the space station together, worked very closely with the Russians. And it was very tough initially dealing. And, and that was one situation where I was the only woman. In fact, there was not even a restroom on the executive floor of an idea company that we worked with in Kaliningrad outside of Moscow. There was no women's room. They had to give me, they had to lock the door on everybody else and let me into the men's room to, to use the facilities when I needed to go. And in those situations, men much older than me, all male, a lot of bias initially for who was I and was I any of any value to the effort. And they, and to my mind, it was like, people would ask me, isn't that tough? You go over there, they with you appropriately. And to me, I was like, walking the park. <laughs> pretty soon, I, pretty soon I had, I, of course, established good relationships with them and became really good friends. There were a couple that curmudgeons that wouldn't come around and I just decided to go around and do something else. Just figure out how I could be successful. And, and so I think you're absolutely right. That has built in me a sense of not just resilience, but also seeking adventure because I know the outcome for me most of the time, either I overcome it and it's an excellent experience. It's very joyful. It's a sense of accomplishment or I learn something. Sometimes, sometimes it's not as successful. It's not always, my career hasn't been all successes. I just right. want to, for everybody to understand it hasn't been a walk in the park. It's there's been big challenges, but then I've learned that there's something to learn from that. Even if it's not evident at the moment it happens, it's, it becomes evident ultimately, sometimes years later. That makes sense. There, There's another thread that I want to pull on, and it's this. You had this trajectory where you're in NASA, and then you were on the executive, senior executive team for GD, and I think that's General Dynamics, right? General Dynamics, and before that, I'd known for Grumman as well. And oh, Grumman as well. Okay. you You've had this arc of progressively more changing and senior roles throughout your career. And then you decide to launch a startup. <laughs> Shouldn't you be on the retirement track? Hey, can I go to the golf course now? I'm in the boardroom. Why in the world would you start a startup when you're on this other trajectory that seems to be going around just fine? So my friend, one of my friends said, you're not, you should be, you're re rewired, not retired. So that's the word my friends use. That was a plan. Like I told you, I, because I had to worked so hard so early in life. I had always, in my early 20s, I used to tell people that I was going to retire at 50. And I did. When I told my com my company that I wanted to retire, they were like, but that's not retirement age. <laughs> you got to be at least over 55. <laughs> and I was like, no, I want to retire. And so I, that was fully the idea. So I did early, early retire. And then I started sitting on public company boards. I still do an amazing company, Cooper Standard. All of your cars have our set <laughs> and our rubber in them and hoses and so on. And, and then I was investing in startups. So I was very much on that track. So I'm not that far out crazy in terms of seeking adventure, but I go back to the purposefulness. So as I was doing those things within a couple of years, or maybe it was less even, maybe 18 months or so, I was starting to think, man, is this going to be it? <laughs> like now people live a long time. <laughs> Am I going to be doing this for the next 30, 40 years? But at the same time in 2016, 2017 timeframe, when I was on that track, this Me Too just was born. And then the scandal with Harvey Weinstein and others. And because I had it, I had, was actually dual headed for leading diversity, equity, and inclusion at GD, along with my regular job leading an organization and PNL and so on. This was a second hat. 
I led that for a number of years and I knew that we didn't achieve what we really set out to do. We did hire more diverse people, but we couldn't keep them. We couldn't keep them happy. And then after I left, it all unraveled many more. Most of the people I hired were leaving. And so my colleagues, my team members, and everybody was calling me saying, what happened? So I knew that we just hadn't built it into the DNA of the company and we hadn't built an inclusive workplace. And there was really two key reasons. We hadn't connected it with the strategy and the drivers of the organization so that everybody saw the importance of it on it because of that linkage, not just doing DI for DI's sake. And the secondly, we really didn't engage everyone actively in a way that they would take ownership and make it personal for them. Why should they be engaged in making life for every one of them, but getting something out of it? So those are the reasons I decided that I had some ideas. And frankly, it just happened so fast because I had some ideas about how we could do that if we could bring impact to both leaders and employees who want a more inclusive workplace. You're hitting a lot of nerd radar elements that I'm going to pull on right now, because what you're talking about from how is the world of DEI not set up for success? And the way that I'll spell this out is that every organization under the sun wants to solve DEI from the perspective of top of the funnel, candidate attraction, talent attraction. The problem is you can attract all sorts of diverse talent. And you actually called this out just a second ago. But if you don't have the infrastructure set up, and your entire enterprise isn't culturally at a place where it makes the environment welcoming to underrepresented and diverse populations, you're going to have a revolving door. And what I really like about what you just said is that you're operating on the side of this DEI equation that's designed to solidify the infrastructure necessary for success versus just throwing money at the optics side of it, which is what I call talent attraction, where, hey, we want everybody coming in that looks like the colors of the rainbow and whatever construct of diversity that a lot of organizations think looks like diversity. But if you're not creating that solid environment post-hire, you're actually wasting a ton of money. So I really like the fact that you identified the post-hire implications and the need for infrastructure when it comes to DEI. It helps the hiring side as well. Yeah. Because then you can show, because now people are becoming more and more savvy. It used to be enough to have on your statement on your website, and some fees that you have advertised that, but candidates, especially top talent are getting so savvy. And especially as we are moving the profile, the workforce profile is moving more towards millennials and Gen Zers. And pretty soon in, in a few short years, they're going to be 75% of the workforce. They are asking tough questions. What are you really doing? What are you really putting in place in terms of data of it, of a psychologically safe environment? And that's like a, one of the things that's really big is a culture of a place is really defined by at the edges. Is yep. It's not the majority is not really these days. If you're a fairly good company, most people will feel fairly okay. It's just really those people that are underrepresented. And I, by that, I don't mean just, or that have unique needs. By that, I don't mean just women or people of color or disabled or LGBTQ plus community, and even like parents, like working parents. Yeah. You could single that. We are very inclusive of all kinds of people that have unique needs. And really in our work, we see that everybody has, it's just seeing individuals as individuals and not broad brushing hey, we think that this benefit or this process is good for everybody or this policy. It's how do you really give a voice to employees in this future of work, which is finally here, 
and still being built, it would be very different. It would be very different where you can just have a company policy and it applies to everyone. <laughs> You're going to have yeah. to be a lot more mindful of people's different needs and not give everybody the same size shoe, but ask them what size are you and <laughs> give them different shoes. That's really equity. I really like the fact that you called out the, the fact that diversity doesn't mean treating people from a monolithic perspective. You have to meet people where they are and see them as individuals and then tailor your or organization and your enterprise to be able to speak to those individual needs. And that's critical in terms of in terms of how you think about diversity and operationalizing that at the enterprise. And you'll right. see the results as a company, if you yep. as an organization, you'll see the results right there. If you just hire people that are diverse, I have news for you. It can actually be counterproductive if you're not mindful of them. A diverse organization that is not inclusive can actually have more problems. Yep, exactly right. So Sonia, I really like this this thread about reinvention that we've been talking about. And I think you offered a lot of a lot of insights, but you've developed those insights over the course of a career and through learned experience. So for those people that are listening to the show that are early in their career, or mid, midway through in their career, what would you recommend they need to do, relearn to build that reinvention muscle without having to go through an entire career's worth of experience. Yeah, truth be told, I wish that I knew a lot of these things early on. A lot of this has been just conclusions and, and I could have saved a lot of time and energy worrying about unnecessary stuff if I had known a lot of what I've actually at least think are important points that I've made here. But I will say this idea of venting yourself, right? Sometimes it shows up as something you've always wanted to do or something that happens in life, like with me, when I thought I was on the track of now sitting on public company boards and investing in startups, that's a pretty full life. It's a pretty full-time job. And, and most people, when they get to very high level of executive roles, they just sit on boards, which is awesome. And they bring a lot of value. But for me, what somehow as I was starting to feel, is this what I want to do for the rest of my life? Just as that thought was occurring to me, it's actually important to verbalize it. A couple of times I said that out loud to a couple of my friends and I think the universe hears you. And then I became more in tune with the Me Too and everything else that was happening. And then be honest with you, I just gave in to a, a driving force. It was almost like a, a hand that said, when even my investors, when they first invested in us, it was at the idea stage, we didn't have a product yet. A, a typical question is, why are you starting this company? And I said, because... I can't not to. And I told them, having been an investor myself, that I knew fully well that was not a good answer. Somehow they bought it and they still <laughs> invested in us. But I said, it's the honest answer. And as a fiduciary, if you're going to invest in my company, you have to know that I, I thought I would just be on company boards and so on. But I feel like somebody must, that the world needs a better answer. And I need to be at least part of that and contribute to it. And this company and the solution that we have in mind is part of that. We did that just listening to that inner voice. So pay attention to your inner voice when there's things happening in the world where you feel like you have an idea. All the great ideas, Steve Jobs used to have this saying, is that everything that we use and we marvel at and we enjoy was created by a person who thought about it and invented it or discovered it. So it's within your reach, I would say, just listen to that. If you just, you're like, okay, I, I feel like I'm just tired of what I'm doing. I do want to reinvent myself, but I don't have any ideas. I don't have this inner voice. I don't have a driver and nothing abrupt has happened in my life to force me into it. 
And then I think it's really important. There's so many resources, podcasts like this, like this one with good people that have some experiences reading books, a book I must mention then here, if I may, as you can tell, I'm a big avid, I try and read as much as I can, but, but this one was actually recommended by our CTO and it's called Think Again. It's by Adam Grant. It really uses research and storytelling to show us, to show really the power of knowing what you don't know and staying curious so that you can change yourself. And then perhaps you can change the world. Last thing before we wind down. So we've had this great conversation that's covered basically your entire career. And then a second career as a startup founder, when you distill that down, what are the top two or three ways or lessons that people need to walk away from having listened to your story and listened to your journey? So I would say that it's distilled in what we've talked about along the way. One is that whatever you're doing, think of the bigger purpose behind it, bigger than yourself, right? Again, whatever it is, I bet you, you can always find, find that. And then explore. If you feel like your job is just, there's no purpose in it, then it's time to really rethink, you know, what else you want to do. But your life is too valuable and too much of our lives are spent working and all the concepts of working and what it means have changed. So if there's something that you're just not comfortable with, I bet you it'll end up with some kind of either a stress life. There's so much burnout. There's so much mental health issues right now. And they really come from this. And a lot of the quiet quitting and real quitting, the great resignation, they're all about this, right? And as you think of that, and necessary, it's all these three things that I've mentioned, being purposeful, being limitless, and reinventing yourself, they go hand in hand. They're all different ways of looking at it, right? Because as you're thinking of what's my purpose, you will need to think of I'm limitless also. You will need to think of yourself as you have the power within and you can influence things or you can change things. And you are, I love what you said, you're the CEO of your life and your career at the end of the day. And you can get advisors, you can have board members of your life, but at the end of the day, you are the one who is who has to act and who has to, to do it. And then the last thing is the reinvent, no matter where you are, and especially I see a lot of ageism, I see as I'm getting older myself, I see that people are sometimes like, oh, I'm too old to do this. I see people in their 40s say this, or in late 30s or early 40s say this, I'm too old that I can't change this. First of all, I tell them, look at who's running all the countries of the world. Look at our country. There's mostly 70, 80 years old, which these days is not old, frankly. I'm looking forward a to a, at least another 30 years ahead of me. And I think that it's healthy to think of that way. And yet tomorrow, any of us could be struck by a car, regardless of our age, right? It's good to just live in the moment and think, what will make me really happy? How can I reinvent myself? And then just inform yourself about how you can do that. Really great stuff, Sonia. And I think with what you mentioned, quote that comes to mind, and it's something that drives me, is live as if you're going to die tomorrow and learn as if you're going to live forever. So I think both of those tie in to what's how you've driven your career. So before we sign off, last thing that I want you to share with the audience, where can people find you? It's easy. My first name, Sonia, S-O-N-Y at, and the name of our company is Our Office, like Our Office, an office that belongs to all of us. It's just, it's not my office, your office, it's Our Office. Our Office, but it's not IO. It's not .com, it's not IO. I'm on LinkedIn. I post sometimes today, I actually posted about a an OMB proposal to change and enhance, I would say, the way that the government categorizes the definition of race and ethnicity. It will expand it, so I said it will make it better for people like myself that are multi-ethnicity. And right now we have no choice but to say we are white, but I've 
frankly never felt comfortable with that. So I think it's, it's a good thing. So for example, I have a post on, uh, on the LinkedIn. So if you're wondering with, and trying to find me, that's one post that I just did today. In, but it's really, uh, LinkedIn is a best way probably to connect and as well as my email address. Thanks for a great conversation. And obviously anybody that's listening or watching this, uh, when this comes out on YouTube, if you can't find Sonia, find me and then I'll connect you to her. She's definitely somebody that you need to know. When I think about this conversation that uh, we've had, and it's been a great conversation, so I appreciate your time. There are four things that stand out about Sonia's story that listeners need to connect. And you need to have agency, urgency, drive, and purpose. If you build those four things into how you move about your life and your career, you're going to end up being very successful. So be intentional about agency, urgency, drive, and purpose, and it won't steer you wrong. So we appreciate everybody that's tuned into this episode of Cascading Leadership. Hopefully you learned a lot from it. If you like the show, make sure you subscribe and tell a friend and tune in next time for another great episode of Cascading Leadership, where our mission is to help you move your career further faster. Thank you for listening to this episode of Cascading Leadership. We hope you enjoyed the story as much as we did. Make sure you subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast player. Follow us on YouTube, TikTok, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. Leave us a review. Tell a friend. If you're interested in sponsoring the show, reach out to me at jim at cascadingleadership.com. Tune in next time for another great episode that will help you move your career further faster.